welcome to episode 13 of The Playground Project with me, your host, Tanya Pomerantz. I am thrilled you are here on The Playground with me. And before we start chatting with my mystery guest, I invite you to follow the podcast wherever you find your podcasts. I am absolutely delighted to welcome my mystery guest, Dan Kisner, onto The Playground. Get ready to learn about Dan's career path, which went from dressing in suits while selling Ferraris to captains of industries, to wearing shorts and providing doggy daycare to lucky local pooches. Welcome, Dan Kisner. I am so excited and thrilled that you are our mystery guest on today's episode of The Playground Project. And before we get into it, I'm just going to kind of introduce you, how we know each other, and then we'll just be on the playground together having fun. This is Dan Kisner, and he is the co-owner and operator of Bunker Hill Kennels in Davisburg, Michigan. He has been a very close friend of my husband for ever, I'm going to say. Uh, so I've known Dan indirectly for 18 years, and he grew up in Montreal. He has one of the most interesting careers that I've seen. I've always been completely fascinated by, by his career journey. And this opportunity to have this conversation thrills me. I'm really excited. So welcome, Dan. Thank you. Glad to be here. So. You know, the whole purpose of the Playground Project is to explore careers, career journeys, really, discover yourself and, and have fun. So to wit, we're just going to go right back to high school because that's when so many people started kind of thinking about what are they going to do? You know, a lot of times it was, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? But so let's go back to Montreal. What were the, the subjects that you did really well in during high school? Uh, I'll be completely upfront. I mean, I wasn't exactly the best student. <laughs> um, you know, I made it up to, uh, I completed one year of college. I was in uh, business. You know, subjects I did uh, decently in were like math, English. Um, but really, uh, if I'm being honest, not much beyond that. I mean, after uh, one year of college, I came to the realization that this is probably not going to be my path. And I left school after after a year. Back then, I had a job, a part-time job working in a hotel. And it was the kind of job that paid enough to make somebody who was young to feel like they were doing okay, but not really uh, a great career path long-term. So I kind of got caught up in that for a little while um, until I finally realized that, uh, you know, I ended up having a daughter and I realized, okay, it's, it's time to get going here. And, um, you know, my French is okay uh, on a social level, but I never felt comfortable in a business environment. So that's when I decided I got to leave. I, I have to go uh, to a predominantly English speaking area. So I moved to Toronto like so many people have done. Mm -hmm. And even at that point, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I mean, I've always had a passion for cars and I always wanted to do something with cars. I wasn't quite sure what, uh, knowing that school wasn't going to be the path, you know, le leading me to be an engineer or what have you. 
came to the realization that I wanted to get into sales, uh, try that out. But I also, one thing that's very important to me is having a strong life work balance. And with my daughter in my life being a single dad, uh, I was seeing her every second weekend and that was my priority. Uh, no job was going to get get in the way of that. Um, so moving to Toronto, starting to check out the car sales scene, they were all open on weekends. So that really, you know, it interfered with my number one priority being my daughter. So it was only after I ended up in Michigan, uh, and that's a whole story in itself, how I ended up getting there. But only when I uh, be, uh, arrived in Michigan, realized that car dealerships here were not open on Saturdays, or at least a lot of them weren't. That's when I decided, okay, Time to uh, time to try to marry my passion with my livelihood. So my very first job I got was selling Pontiacs at a uh, car dealership uh, that was very well known for training their employees. So I figured that would be the best place to start. I'm not a natural salesman per se, uh, but I thought combining the passion with uh, with sales uh, would help me succeed. So literally, my first day on the job. I sold a car like half an hour in, which was, um, you know, my manager was like, pretty, you know, he gave me the lead. So, you know, it was a little unfair in that respect, but still uh, I completed the sale. I ended up moving up into management pretty quickly. Uh, it took me six months and then I became a finance manager. But uh, at that point I was, I realized that this is not utilizing my passion because you know i was really into sports cars exotic cars performance cars i i knew a lot about them i read about them i loved talking about them and pontiacs didn't quite cut the uh cut the grade so i remember one morning uh on a weekend i was eating breakfast with my wife looking through the paper uh looking at uh you know job postings and i remember seeing an ad that stated uh you know, work for an authorized exotic car dealer. I don't think it mentioned the brand. I just remember turning to my wife and showing her the ad and saying, that's my job right there. And I applied for it and I, I got it. Um, I got it. It was a, a Ferrari, an authorized Ferrari dealership. They had only been open for three or four years, but they had gone through quite a few different salespeople and that never had anybody who was uh, longstanding. So when I got there, um, that was like heaven for me. I mean, you know, having enjoyed exotic cars or enjoyed reading about them all my life, here I am in a, in a position where I'm going to be around them a lot. And I remember my general manager at the time, he, uh, when I got hired, he said, you know, Dan, I know you love cars, uh, but the day will come when you walk into this dealership and you walk by all these cars like they were refrigerators. <laughs> I didn't like the sounds of that, but uh, that did occur. Mm. It did occur, you know, after many, many years, but getting to that point was a whole lot of fun. You know, I got to drive all the cars I ever wanted to drive and, and I got to use my enthusiasm and passion for cars first and foremost uh, in, in my job. And it allowed me to succeed. Uh, I was there for 12 years. You know, the last few years, I was the only salesperson they had and I was literally running the front of the house, meaning uh, everything outside of service because uh, just the circumstances were like that. So I was doing, you know, quite well there. I had many, many good years, but time ran its course. Got to the point where uh, I didn't see eye to eye with the owner who was mm. involving himself more. Uh, I, I, you know, it, it also ran my course. Time ran its course for me. So then, you know, 
at that point, uh, I started to look elsewhere. Uh, I did get a few other car sales jobs. They just didn't quite add up. It wasn't doing it for me anymore. And I knew uh, it was time to start looking around. And at that point, I, um, you know, uh, I hadn't had dogs in my life really as a kid. Uh, only once I got married and started to be around dogs, I really, really grew to start loving dogs and, and animals as a whole. You know, and I, I remember sitting there one day watching my two Australian shepherds playing with, with each other, uh, just thinking to myself, uh, wow, I, I could watch this all day long. Little did I know that that was going to lead me to my my second part of my career or the second uh, in my life. <laughs> so I um, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead too much here. or <laughs> No, I just I'm taking but, uh, notes and I, I have I'm underlining words that I kind of just want to go back to because I'm. Okay. I've just got, so let's go back to the part-time job in a hotel. Okay. I'm going back. Mini bar attendant? (laughs) Yep. 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 (laughs) Did you know that I was a mini bar attendant too? Get out of here. Really? Yep. I didn't know that. Yep. So I know exactly (laughs) what you mean about how it was, it was cool for the time, but definitely not something that you could make a, a career, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And when you moved to Toronto, your daughter was in Montreal still, right? Yeah, and um, I was driving back to see her every second weekend, so that's that's why I had to have those weekends free. Yeah, yeah, and driving back, the, and that commitment has that that's a, a lifelong commitment that you've demonstrated, and and I I wanted to ask too about the strong life work balance because we're around the same age and growing up and we were younger, that was not a thing, right? Like people never talked about life work balance. No, uh, I don't think people start to realize that it's important until they start their careers and and then they're deciding how much commitment they're going to make to their careers. One thing I'll tell you, working at a Ferrari dealership, I'm obviously have met incredibly successful people, billionaires. I mean, I'm dealing with the absolute top of uh, captains of industries, uh, mm. athletes, whatever, you know, I met, I met, I met them all and a big, you know, a lot of them are very happy uh, and you have different how they originated, you know, some started their business on their own. Some were handed a business by their, their parents uh, or what have you. And you can see who's happy, who's dedicating their every waking moment to generate making money and who's actually enjoying what they're doing. So I got to see all that firsthand at the very highest level. And I realized, you know, money's nice. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's important to, you know, at least make enough where you're comfortable. Uh, one thing I learned a long time ago is to appreciate what I have and not always strive for something else. Cause that's, that's a, uh, that's a, a rat race. I mean, that you're just gonna, you'll never be happy. You'll never be happy. So I saw examples of that all along the way. And that certainly helped me uh, come to the understanding that I wanted a proper life work balance. And also, obviously, needing that time to visit my daughter, I was not going to uh, let that go. I mean, uh, that, that was not a priority and that wasn't going to change. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's I, I still maintain that today. I would never take a job that requires, you know, 80 hours a week or, or you know, crazy hours that you hear people talking about it. You know, I, I need to recharge batteries like most people. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And when and one of the words that I wrote was strategic. Did you uh-huh. know that at the time you were taking such a strategic strategic approach to your career development? Not, you know, not really. I mean, um, 
I just thought that my work life, if I can combine my work life with passions of mine, uh, I, I just felt that I would be happiest. Uh, you know, when, when you're able to do that, it really makes working feel much less like work. Uh, mm-hmm. It really makes it feel more like uh, something you're enjoying. You know, there's there's always going to be the part where you you have to work uh, to earn the uh, your your livelihood. But if you're passionate about it, it makes it so much easier. So I just followed that. Uh, I always followed that, uh, um, and I'm glad I did. <laughs> Yeah. And this is what excites me about this is that you used all of these skills that you developed and you said that you weren't a natural salesperson. So how were you able to, was it all enthusiasm that you were able to demonstrate that, that made you a great salesperson? What made you a great salesperson? Ah, uh, that is exactly it. And I'll give you an example. When I first moved to Toronto, the, the, I was only there for a year and a half. But the first job I got was, uh, well, actually, the second job I got, the first one didn't last very long. Uh, the second one I got was selling computer-aided design software to manufacturers, designers, and what have you. You know, it was interesting because it helped build the things I was passionate about, but the, it, it you know, it was software. <laughs> it was, you know, it didn't require any passion. And I realized I'm going to have a bit of a heart. I did okay because I'll, I'll work hard. I mean, I'll dedicate uh, my work time to work a hundred percent, but if there's no passion driving it, it's, it's just becomes routine and, and repetitive and, and it just, it just doesn't get me going. Um, so when I was selling that software, I realized, uh, I, I better switch to something that I, uh, I get excited about. So when I came to cars, especially, you know, selling Ferraris, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly it, is being a- being able to convey my enthusiasm to somebody. I remember uh, my boss once told me, he goes, you know, when you talk to people about cars, he said it's, it's, it's very infectious. But it's also, you know, not only did I have the passion for cars, but I also have the ability to talk about any type of car to anybody. Um, I don't care what level. You can be an engineer. I, I can still direct you to maybe a car we had in our inventory. I, I can lay out the positives, I can lay out the negatives, and it just flowed very, very freely. And, um, you know, much like I talked to my best friends about who are into cars as well. So it's, it sort of all came together that way. You had a real natural way of communicating information in a way that people could access it successfully. Right, right. Yeah, true, true. Very true. So I just noticed that. And another thing that I wrote down was success. What mm-hmm. was your either growing up or as, as you've gone through life, what's your definition of success? Well, I mean, early on, like, uh, you know, I think most people who haven't started their careers yet, you, you think success is strictly financial and that's what I thought as well. And that's how I got caught up in that, you know, working at a hotel for probably longer than I care to, (laughs) uh, because like I said, I was making a little more than what somebody that age would typically make so that sort of made me feel successful until you you know you move on with your life where you know you're out on your own and then paying bills and you realize well i'm not quite making enough here so the financial aspect telling me that i was successful stayed with me until i i guess i got into the ferrari world and i started meeting people who were incredibly successful and that's when i realized for myself that uh, financial success was not my idea of success. 
for me, it's overall. It's overall. I mean, mm-hmm. um, at the end of the day, bottom line, uh, you know, you want to be happy. How mm-hmm. do you identify yourself being happy? The simplest thing is, you know, how often are you smiling genuinely or laughing genuinely? <laughs> um, it's just, it's really as simple as that. I mean, uh, you know, humans have a, a way of telling ourselves when we're happy and it comes down to that. So for, for me to be happy, uh, I had to have success in my private life, you know, being with somebody who, you know, we can make each other laugh. To me, that's very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe one of the most important things is uh, being able to make each other laugh. So, and I just grew up with, with a circle of friends and you're married to one of them, uh, yes. you know, where, where humor is, is, is massive. I mean, you know, I get together with your husband and then our other very close friend and, you know, our level of sar- sarcastic humor is is off the charts. I mean, it's, 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 we just thrive on that. It's just, you know, we I love that. Um, so it really comes down to, again, the very basic, very basics, and that's just smiling and laughing. So that's very much, for me, part of overall success. I'm not going to, you know, if somebody came to me and said, hey, Dan, uh, I'll pay you $100 million a year, but you have to work 80 hours a week. That's probably, you know, mm-hmm. let's say you, I got a, a job uh, proposition from Elon Musk, okay? P- somebody who makes people sleep at the office. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing that, <laughs> you know? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just not going to dedicate my entire, money is not so important that I'm going to give up uh, other aspects of my life. I just got to have that balance. But I've met people who are, entirely driven by money. And what I've learned about those people is because that's what drives them, maybe they feel they're happy because of that. I guarantee you they're not going to lie on their deathbed at the end of their life thinking, gee, I should have worked more. You know, it's only the people that are around them that are enjoying their success, you know, because they're busy making their money and then the people around them are enjoying it. So, I mean, I've seen that firsthand and it just made me realize, okay, uh, I don't need to be stinking rich. I just want to be happy. Yeah. It's almost like you had a masterclass in this kind of knowledge or or understanding through the people that you got to meet at the Ferrari dealership. Yeah. I mean, uh, you're right. I mean, most people are not going to get exposed to, you know, such high levels of, uh, you know, people in such high levels in their industries. You're right. Um, and it is a completely different world. But it, uh, yeah, it gave me a firsthand uh, uh, view into uh, what I didn't necessarily want or what I was not necessarily willing to commit to get to what they had, mm-hmm. realizing that other things made me happy. So because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, now working at, you know, having a, a kennel, I mean, I'm, I'm not meeting people like that typically. <laughs> and it, it, does, it doesn't matter, you know, it still comes back to the basics of being happy. Well, and, and that's a great segue to... How did you how did you become the founder and, and of this Bunker Hill Kennels? Like what was that journey? Well, I mean, I um I, I think I mentioned before, you know, watching my my two Aussies playing and just thinking of how how much I loved <laughs> watching them and thinking, boy, you know, this this could uh this could uh, I could watch this all day. Um and then I started thinking about it. Uh it just so happened to be that near my house there was a kennel that uh was in foreclosure and my wife actually uh found out about it and you know she we ended up being able to acquire the property for crazy uh, price very nice low price (laughs) which was nice Mm. um 
And, you know, but at that point, I was still working in the car industry, um, not quite ready to transition over to getting into the kennel world. But I had always been thinking about setting up uh, an environment where I could watch dogs play all day. Um, and I, I had been thinking about starting a daycare. And, um, you know, after I left Ferrari and I, I, I did work for another brand, a uh, couple of other brands, but realized it wasn't stirring up the passion the way Ferrari was. And like I said, uh, it was coming to an end for me, that whole world. And, uh, I, you know, it was finally time. To, all right, let's let's start daycare and see how it goes so you know it started off slowly as you can imagine thank god i had uh back then i had three of my own dogs or maybe four <laughs> i had four dogs at one point so that was enough to you know start building up play groups and uh, getting you know as dogs were joining i mean you know if one dog joins you don't have a play group yet but thank thankfully i was able to mix that with my own dogs and and compensate for the lack of uh clients and while we were still growing and it took a good full year at least to really build up my clientele to the point where uh you know it was a decent livelihood and uh exactly as i thought i mean it as enjoyable as I thought it would be, you know, uh, nice hot summer days. I'm outside playing with dogs. I mean, heck, what, what could be better than that? You know, I mean, it's uh, it's so enjoyable. And and the beauty of having a daycare is the dog tells you, tells me and also their owner how much fun they're having. If, uh, you know, I have a lot of clients that tell me uh, on the, their daycare days, their dog is up nice and early and he's anxious. They're waiting by the door. Uh, <laughs> They, they know they're going to daycare and they're like barking all the way over to the daycare. And that, that sign of uh, how much they love it is, is truly enjoyable. I love to see that. I used to have one guy who would pull up in his pickup truck. He wouldn't even get out of his truck. He would just open the car door. The, his two labs would come running up the stairs uh, to where I was. And it's just so fulfilling, really. I'm just sitting here smiling at that, at that image. And I, you know, it's interesting because the idea that, you're doing this brings me such mm -hmm. joy. And and I can remember when we had our beloved Lloyd with us, we had him in daycare for a little while, not, not so long. And I think you'll really understand this. When one day I was dropping him off and he refused to, to get from behind, he went behind my legs and he would not hmm. come out when that when wow. the operator guy was there. And I came hmm. home and I said, well, I brought him home. Like that was it. Like I didn't let him stay there that day. And I said right. to, to Gary, I'm like, he's not happy there. I don't know what's gone on, but that's not the type of behavior that you would want to see. The type of behavior that I, as a dog mom, would like to see it, are the dogs jumping out of the car, like those labs, to see you and right. spend time there. And so I, I really can appreciate that you're offering your human and canine clientele a really wonderful service and you're making a difference in their lives and uh and on top of that you know um i run my daycare is a little different from a typical daycare in the sense that i keep my play groups smaller than what you'll typically find and i bond with every single one of the dogs some of them i'll be honest with you there's some dogs who you know just don't get into playing with other dogs they'll just sort of sit back on the sidelines and, and watch and they're happy doing that mm -hmm. uh, but they also certainly come to they're more they, they enjoy their time more with humans and i i know that i mean they'll spend more time with me 
Uh, and because I have the smaller play groups, I can spend that time with them. And, and it's, it's nice to make that bond as well. So I, I just love it. <laughs> Wouldn't change I, well, it for the world. I think, I think that it's really cool. And so what is a typical, what does a typical day look like for you? And I'm just comparing, I'm, I'm thinking of you, you know, as a Ferrari dealership guy, obviously getting dressed in a suit and, and looking the part. What does a day look like for you now? Uh, it's, it's God, it's so night and day compared to what I used to have to do. Like you were saying, uh, get up, put on a, a shirt and tie and then drive, uh, 45 minutes to my job and spend the, the eight hour day there. And, uh, you know, it, compared to now where I get up on a nice day, I'm wearing a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and, uh, you know, I, I don't have to shave, uh, the dogs don't care what I look like. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, getting over the kennel, which is a hell of a lot closer than what my first job was. It's literally a three-minute drive, so I don't really have a commute. Oh. Um, and the day is structured. So, I mean, the first portion of the day is just accepting all the arriving dogs. And what I do is I create them all until they're all there. And only once they're all there do I get the play group growing, uh, going. And the day really mimics uh, a dog's natural energy uh, uh, output. So, I mean, the first hour typically is, you know, high energy play where they're really running around and wrestling with each other and getting their zoomies out and whatever. <laughs> naturally start to calm down uh, probably after about an hour. And then uh, that the second hour when they are calming down, I'll have like a, a snack time where... Uh, you know, I have like these little uh, mats, uh, licky mats they're called, and you put like a, a soft treat in there. And it's, it's one of these things that is meant to, you know, for a dog to take time to, to go through the treat. And they have nap time middle of the day um, for a couple of hours. And then after that nap time, I basically repeat what occurred in the morning. You know, but they recharge their batteries a bit, so they have some high energy play. And, you know, about uh, three o'clock, they all start to calm down again and uh and then we start getting ready for pickups uh between like 3 30 and 4 o'clock i'm starting to you know settle them down and get them created again for when they they start to get picked up and they usually get picked up by six o'clock and uh that's the end of my day so a successful day is a day where dogs are panting and tired at the end of the day no injuries uh you know uh, you know that's the only downside is that can mm. occur i mean i, I do Dogs play the way they want to play, um, and sometimes look good. There's bumps and bruises involved. Uh, you know, it's my job to make sure they're safe and uh, make sure they're playing, uh, you know, respectfully with each other. But sometimes uh, incidents happen. I mean, they're dogs. Thank God it doesn't happen often at all. You know, I might have two incidents a year, mm -hmm. one incident a year, but that's certainly the goal is to have none. So yeah, um, and each play group is uh, scheduled. Uh, you know, it's not like I have people dropping off random dogs on random days. Uh, mm -hmm. They're all scheduled. They've all been assessed. Uh, and you know, I try to match up their play styles. And you know, obviously, they want. I want them all to get along and make sure. And it, it really becomes a, a family. Um, the dogs get to know each other. They they get to, they look forward to seeing each other. And certain dogs will play with certain other dogs more than others. Uh, you know, the, and certain dogs will enjoy uh, certain things with other dogs only. You know, like, um, and it's just wonderful to see those relationships take place amongst the dogs along with me. So it's uh, it's it's just great. I mean, I have days where require a lot of my involvement. You know, uh, where I when I'm active, the dogs are being active, or if I'm not quite as active that day they're not quite as active then i have other groups that just 
I just sit back and watch. I love it. And I'm, I'm smiling. I'm thinking about nap time. Uh-huh. So I'm picturing all these dogs just on their mats sleeping. Is that how it goes? Well, I, uh, I do crate them during nap time <clears throat> and yeah, they, they certainly have, <laughs> certainly have pads in their, their crates. I, oh. uh, put on some, uh, like, uh, mellow music. I actually found on YouTube, uh, dog relaxation music. So I have that playing for the, uh, for the, the nap time duration, turn the lights out. Yeah. And really want them to get some quality rest uh just because if they don't get that uh and you try to run an afternoon session the way you did the morning mm. they want to you, you notice the drop in energy even even after nap time their energy uh for the first part of the afternoon session is certainly has certainly dropped off from the morning session and that's that's natural that's just natural so uh it's just a way to recharge them uh, midday so i do try to make it as comfortable as i can for them i love it i think that sounds like um siesta time i think that humans would benefit from that and i'm kind of kind of a little bit you know jealous because they get to do that what do you do when (laughs) you know close the lights and and all that kind of stuff what are you doing paperwork I mean, I'll take that time to grab a bite, uh, do other, uh, you know, uh, other tasks involving the kennel, um, you know, just behind the scenes type of things to get that kind of stuff done. Yeah. And, you know, the, the nap time period goes by very quickly. I mean, uh, you know, you blink your eyes and it's over. So, I mean, I get done whatever I can. Question for you then you transitioned to being an entrepreneur. I guess when you stand back and look at it in that respect, uh, I suppose, I mean, I, I don't really, you know, think about it in those terms. Uh, for me, it's just uh, the path to tr- being happy. So uh, I guess it can be labeled as such, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I, I'm, I I'm saying that because I, I'm saying that because having a business is to me right. really tough. Uh-huh. You're doing this and you're doing it so well. I have a lot of respect and admiration for you to be able to to create this life for yourself and for your family and for your dogs and everyone. I think it's I think it's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, it's uh, it feels good. I mean, uh, you know, it wasn't easy. I mean, uh, you know, when you first start, uh, when we first started the kennel, obviously you're picking up things as you go along, uh, learning things as you're going along. But it, it really doesn't take long before that all becomes habitual and just really fades into the background. All the minor stuff. Uh, you know uh, that a kennel involves and when it gets to that point you can just sit back and enjoy the parts that you enjoy uh, whereas this you know the secondary stuff just becomes routine Mm. Uh, and that's a nice point to hit it it took about like i mentioned it took about a year to get to that point uh but uh now we've been i've had my daycare running for god four four or five years now wow um so that first year uh it became smoother sailing and the nice thing was uh, i i developed a bit of reputation because uh, i had a lot of dogs that went to typical daycares what, what i mean by typical is you know higher volume of dogs less amount of play allowed because of the higher volume mm-hmm. of dogs they just didn't do well in that environment. A lot of dogs don't do well in that environment. If you have a dog that that wants to play, they're not going to do well in that environment. So I got even got to the point where day, daycares like that, they had learned about me and they started to recommend me to clients whose dogs didn't do well in their oh, environment. Nice. They would actually tell them, go, go see Dan. And uh, so I have quite a few dogs that came to me 
let's call them typical daycare. I don't want to use the word rejects, but I mean, you know, they, they got uh, removed from uh, a typical daycare and they come to me and they thrive. Uh, so that, that was a nice nice feeling to you know hear that other places were recommending me and then all you know above that above all that uh having them thrive in my environment so that's uh that was really sweet <laughs> i yeah. love that and you know i noticed that not not once have you mentioned anything about the financial part of this it's like it's a bonus for you but getting to do what you really want to do is the motivating factor true absolutely i mean um you know, just for me, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, I like to be somebody who's happy with what I have and, and not continually strive to have more or, or better or more expensive or, you know, whatever drives people who are driven financially. So, I mean, as long as I was able to pay our bills, you know, and we're, we're we, we're like any other, many other couples, you know, paying off a house and car payments and all that stuff. So as long as that stuff's all handled, uh, I won't use the word easily, but, uh, you know, as long as those things are taken care of or I'm not having to worry about them um, and also have, you know, a little more, you know, have some savings in the bank, uh, I'm happy. You know, I mean, my goal is to retire in about 10 years from now. So uh, I think I should be able to achieve that. And who knows? I mean, uh, some people go nuts when they retire and they miss their jobs. I don't know if I'll be one of those people. Uh, I, I hope I'll find out. And I do hope it is in 10 years, like I'm <laughs> projecting. So yeah, I guess we'll see. I think that you will, whatever you do, you will be creating something that brings you joy and you will have gratitude for it. And I, and I, I love this conversation with you, Dan, because there are so many parallel parts of of our personalities and the fact that you've grown up with my husband um and you know you and i have the exact same way of looking at at life of of just being happy and content and satisfied with what you have instead of constantly searching and trying to get more and more and more because that doesn't fill the hole that, that that's missing or that's there my respect for you is huge because as a dog lover and and as a dog parent to trust somebody with your dog is like the the highest level of trust that you can have in somebody and so clearly people love love you as a a provider to their dogs and the dogs love you too and I can't even tell you the joy that I feel in my heart listening to you and knowing that the the level of of joy that you feel yeah it's uh, again it's it's I wouldn't trade it for the world like I said, I was a late bloomer uh, coming into the dog world, and uh, boy, when I came into it, it was head over heels. And you know, all my dogs, my own personal dogs, are all rescues. Uh, they came to us in one way or the other. One thing about having a kennel is, you know, sometimes you'll run into a situation where I meet dogs different breeds from all walks of life and because i run the daycare you know i have a very strong understanding of dog body language i i have to mm-hmm. i absolutely have to have so i can read a dog very well um and like i said I, I i meet the owners too uh and you know and you i can very quickly tell you who's a good dog parent and who isn't because i'm certainly one of these people uh you know it's it's it really comes down to an environment a dog is raised in um so i mean the fact that I've been able to learn about dogs as much as I have, it just gives me, you know, a, a strong bond, not only to my own, but uh, 
really any dog I meet. If I go visit somebody and then they have a dog, I'm probably spending most of my time with the dog. You know? <laughs> That's how it is, you know. They're the they're so innocent, uh, yeah. yet so loving, and then you know you can you bond with them, and there there's just nothing else like it. For me, they're part of my family. I love and protect them as such, and uh, I never have it any other way. Dan, this has been a really eye-opening and soul-sharing kind of chat. And I really appreciate you taking the time and spending this time together on the playground with me and the listeners. I hope that you continue to have a wonderful time with your dogs. I know you will. And I have to tell you, I am looking forward to you uh, meeting Frank one day, you know, having you bond with him because I think he would really, <laughs> he would really enjoy that. And, um, and it will just be really nice to see you again soon. Oh, question uh, before we go. Yes. What about COVID? How did that impact, you know, your clientele? Um, on the boarding side of things that, that kid, you know, that came to a screeching halt because all of a sudden nobody was traveling anywhere. So it really hit us in, in the boarding side uh, for at least a few months until people, uh, you know, got fed up and decided they were going to travel anyways. Uh, <laughs> so it started to pick back up slowly. On the daycare side of things, I, you know, the, when COVID first hit and they were coming out with restrictions, I mean, there was a lot of things that were unclear. The first first thing that, you know, governments were doing were making, you know, certain industries shut down entirely, if you recall. Yep. I mean, so I wasn't sure, you know, only essential services were allowed to uh, to, to remain open. So, I mean, I, I was trying to find information to tell me what, you know, where a you know, dog daycare stands because people who are going to work uh, still uh, through COVID, uh, you know, still want somewhere to bring their dogs. And then there was also the people who started immediately to work from home. Certainly there was a number of them who felt, okay, I'm going to be at home now, so I'll be at home with my dog. So there's no longer need for daycare. Well, I mean, your dog, you know, if you're home with your dog, your dog is not getting socialized with other dogs. I mean, yeah, yeah they have company uh, and they enjoy being with you, but but that, that doesn't take the place of socialization. Uh, and I think people, and, and, you know, people started off maybe with that in mind, but quickly learned, uh, oh, shoot, I'm not going to get a whole lot of work done with my dog here with um, yeah. You know, especially if they were, uh, you know, maybe making sales calls or whatever on the phone, perhaps they had a loud dog or a dog who was very uh, active, uh, making a lot of noise in the background. <laughs> so, you know, people that came around and realized, okay, I, I better get my dog back into daycare. So, I mean, daycare came back into full stride probably within one or two months after COVID first started. So, so I was thankful for that. See, I have, I have so many questions. Thank you, Dan, for that. This was absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks so much for joining me on the playground, Dan. I really appreciated getting to hear about your career journey and learning what motivated you to make this leap from selling exotic cars to running your own boarding and doggy daycare kennel. Dan shared with us what drove him in his career and life a strong sense of work-life balance. He quickly identified his priorities and constructed his life to respect what he most values. He started his career, like many other people, focusing on finances as a measure of success. But after selling Ferraris to billionaires, captains of industries, and athletes, among many others, he recognized that for him, success is not measured by his bank account, 
but by how genuinely happy he is. For him, sharing his life, be it with his wife or his friends, with people who can make each other laugh, is paramount. His level of gratitude and appreciation for what he has, not what others have or what he may be lacking, are what drive him, and he has built a business providing exceptional care to dogs and their people. What's next for Dan? Hopefully retirement in about 10 years, but knowing him, whatever he does, he will do it with passion, humor, and gratitude. What a ride this has been. Thanks again to Dan, and please do join me and next week's mystery guest on the Playground Project next week. I really appreciate you spending your time with me, and I would love to hear from you. Please feel free to follow me on Instagram at PuddleJumpCoaching001 or drop me an email at tanya at puddlejumpcoaching.com. Thanks again. Have a wonderful week. See you next week when we will jump into the future together. 